Another day is here, and you're ready for it. What to wear? Check. Breakfast, lunch, and dinner? Check. Planning for what's next and how to save for it? That's where Bank of America can help. For your financial to-dos, Bank of America has experts ready to help get you closer to your goals. Get started at one of our local financial centers or 24-7 in our mobile banking app. Find a location near you at bankofamerica.com slash talk to us. What would you like the power to do? Mobile banking requires downloading the app and is only available for select devices. Message and data rates may apply. Bank of America and a member FDSE. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply all kinds of different music and then test out whether or not the audio was right. Look for the glitches, look for the problems in the encoding mechanism. So that was my specialty for a long period of time. Anyways, by the time I left high tech, which I spent 10 years between Real Network and Microsoft, and I did some other stuff, I actually started producing large scale dance parties because I went into the electronic music scene. I fell in love with this other form of expression where the heavy metal expression is more about like just getting out like raw emotions. I found that the world of electronic music was really about movement and your body and getting your music, like getting all of yourself out in that way. Hello, everyone, and welcome to a new episode of Set Lusting Bruce, your podcast all about Bruce Springsteen, his music, and mostly his fans. I am your host, Jesse Jackson. We are getting off the Bruce train today, and we are taking a walk through nature and talking plant music. I'm very excited. This should be a fun discussion. Ria is joining me on the podcast. Chagria, tell us a little about yourself. Tell us a little bit about yourself. It's always such a hard question. Let's see, what can I tell you that makes fun? So I am, I live in Italy in a place called Dominher. It's one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. So an unusual place with what we, what sometimes we lovingly call the the eighth wonder of the world or the first wonder of the new world, the temples of humankind. But going back a little bit more into me, I am a nature-inspired mentor and a personal evolution coach, And but I'm actually a music engineer. That's like my background. I, I'm originally from the States, as you can tell from my accent. I'm Cuban-American, and I have my specialization is in plant music, so not just regular music, which already has been my passion since I was basically wee little. But really plant music, I work very closely with the plant world to help us better understand ourselves, expand our senses. And all of that started with plant music, which I study as a form of plant communication as a way to really get into new aspects of the way we think. But also as a anybody who loves music knows that music is a 
direct form of communication. So really about understanding the way the plant mind works through the science, the arts and spirituality. And my arts part is that music aspect. It's a very condensed version. <laughs> no, that, that is very cool. That's a very good elevator pitch. <laughs> One of the things that I have been looking to do in last year and this year is to expand the podcast. It is very easy. And I say this with much love in my heart to get a bunch of old white guys on the podcast to talk about Bruce Springsteen. I'm an old white guy. It is very fair. Um, and so I specifically started joining, and this is more for the audience than you, there are groups that connect people and you say, hey, I'm looking for guests that want to do this. And we have guests who are saying, I'm looking want to do this. And when I saw the idea of you with an academic background on music and changing it to something to help the environment, I said, this is a story I want to hear. So thank you so much for joining me. We're going to get to that in a minute, but I always like to start at the beginning. Your roots, so to speak. Shall, I couldn't resist the pun. Talk exactly. About, talk about growing up. You said you grew up in the States. Where did you grow up and what kind of music did your family listen to when you were young? Yeah, so I grew up in Miami, which of course being Cuban means that I was an, and I'm Miami in the 1980s. So that already just qualifies a whole series of things. You have the entire world of salsa and Willy Chirino and Celia Cruz, and we're just going to spontaneously dance. My brothers are way older than I am. But so that meant that everything that was from the 70s going into the 80s was very big in my house and and they were more on the rock and roll side so you know everything from Van Halen and going into all that type of music journey and stuff like that and I actually was pretty wide breath but I'm a metalhead on one side and then on the other hand I just love music that's the interesting part is that so I had this very wide breath of music for me music has like for many people it's always been that that way of expression and so much so that by the time I got to college and decided that my first choice of what I thought I was going to study was not what I wanted. And then I found that the two things that I had that I loved throughout my life was music. My, my friends were musicians of sorts. Like I did play, but that wasn't my thing was to be a performer I was always behind the scenes, but my friends were music instructors, guitar teachers. They used to have rock bands and I used to host the like lip syncing competitions and then the rock, the talent shows at school. I was the person that was more the host of all those things. So very much cultivating a culture around music being center of everything. And so when I came back, because I had actually gone away to Boston to study something completely different and I thought to myself, what do I really want to study? And the two things that I loved more than anything were music and math. And so music engineering and electrical engineering became, oh my goodness, this is what I want to study. And the best school in the country happened to have been in my backyard, like literally the University of Miami. So I really grew up with this wide breadth where myself, I would go through these periods. I was like a metalhead for a while. And when I would do this, and I've always been a bit of a chameleon, I very easily um, move 
in different circles. So I could be with the misfits in one morning and then I can be with the nerds the next day and getting really good grades. And I could fiddle around with all those types of things. And so much so that by the time I, I graduated, I actually went to work in high tech, working with music in tech. So I feel really privileged to be on the pioneering edge of what was eventually became things like YouTube, but at the time didn't exist. So I went to work for a company called Real Networks, which at the time was really called Progressive Networks, but Real Networks is the audio video online. We did the first major launch of streaming video when I arrived a few months before that. And my specialty was audio video testing. As a matter of fact, as a slight aside, the job Please. I turned down, the slob I turned down in order to take this job was doing audio video forensics for the FBI. I actually had top sequence clearance, was offered the job and then told them no. <laughs> And decided to move across the country to Seattle to go work in high tech and really going into that world of what was it like to have audio and video online. So my job for the longest time was to record at night, to encode things like movies like The Breakfast Club over and over again and all kinds of different music and then test out whether or not the audio was right. Look for the glitches, look for the problems in the encoding mechanism. So that was my specialty for a long period of time. Anyways, by the time I left high tech, which I spent 10 years between Real Network and Microsoft, and I did some other stuff, I actually started producing large scale dance parties because I went into the electronic music scene. I fell in love with this other form of expression where the heavy metal expression is more about like just getting out like raw emotions. I found that the world of electronic music was really about movement and your body and getting your music, like getting all of yourself out in that way. And like you said, a really broad scope of different kind of music styles. Were you tempted to go work for the FBI? I was very tempted. It was actually in some ways a super fascinating job, a little bit freaky. Like my, my interview, they had to show me some really gory stuff because they were like, look, this is what the job is. So I had to see a convenience store robbery where they shot somebody's head off. I got to watch a family feud, Hatfields and McCoy type of family feud where they went into a all out shootout and they put the video camera on the ground and they were like, okay, so this is what we watch all the time. And we have to decide what kinds of guns were used, what directions the guns were fired, who fired first by just listening to the gunshots and being able to see what we can see from the video camera. It was a fascinating job. The only problem was that it would be one job for your entire life. They were like, you work here pretty much until you retire. Then when you retire, you become an expert witness and that's how you make more money. And that's pretty much what it would be like. So it was tempting from the perspective of, I got to see the Oklahoma City bombings. They showed me some of the footage of things that they had seen in the aftermath of the Oklahoma City. And the job is fascinating. Like the FBI has one of the largest repositories for gun sounds. Like what do guns sound when they're fired? so that they can identify what those gun sounds would look like, which guns are fired, who fired it, why, what direction, all kinds of different stuff. So it's a super tempting job. It's just well, Washington, D.C. or Washington State. The other thing, and I'm doing a little armchair psychology, but Agria, you've already said you're a chameleon, mm -hmm. always been a chameleon in your life. So the idea of no matter how fascinating a job is, it's the same thing every day had to be, well, 
I'd want to do this gig for four or five years. That would be, and then once I mastered, like, good, then what's my next challenge? That's absolutely correct. Absolutely (laughs) on the nose for who I am. Yeah, Yeah, that makes a lot of sense. Yeah. And And I, go ahead. ahead. (laughs) I was going to say, and I agree with you, Washington State sounds a lot more a better community, a better living than Washington, D.C., right? It does seem, yeah, I could see that. Like you said, there's more variety. It was more opportunity. So it was interesting because even within my corporate world, I worked, like I said, at Real Networks for a year. And then I decided to leave Real Networks and go to Microsoft, but I had an on-compete clause. So I couldn't go into any of the audio or video aspects. I couldn't go into the multimedia type stuff. I was stuck in one of the other groups. And as much as it was wonderful and I worked with really amazing people in the stuff that I did, I eventually left Microsoft because what I missed more than anything were the arts. I needed to be back into that environment of creativity and of seeing people. And this is something that is, I've lived outside of the US now pretty much it's not half of my life, but I've lived out of the U.S. for a long time now. And one of the things that I do see in the U.S. more than almost any other location is this, the ability for us as Americans to create incubators for creativity, to give us permission to be a little bit crazy. Not everybody gets to do it, but when you do, people join theater groups or you join a band. I even had a group of friends of mine. Like I said, I one of the things was that a lot of my high school and into early college friends were all musicians and they were doing things like going into the reserves, like the military, but as musicians. Like it was just The idea of how do I find the creative twist to whatever it is I'm doing. And as a matter of fact, the work that I I do today with the plants is highly influenced or, and, and there's a flow going back and forth of the plants helping me see that alternative logic that I felt that music had always helped me connect into. Music has always helped me do, especially going to a school where I studied music Also professionally, in a sense, like I didn't just, it's not just popular music, but I studied clap, like my principal instrument was piano and voice, and it was classical. And so I was able to listen to a lot of atonal music. And I had a lot of friends of mine that were in percussion groups that they were different forms of percussionists. And there's a lot of atonalness and a lot of like experimentation and really weird music that comes out of those and a lot of jazz because it was a big jazz school. And so I even, I was one of my several internships. I was the, the assistant to REM when they recorded the monster album. And so I got to play with this thing of, there is no one harmony. Like there's all kinds of different harmony. There's all kinds of different musical choices. And that really has influenced the work that I even do today, which is stepping outside of the box, not really getting caught. Like you just said in that, I'm going to do that forever. (laughs) Hello, Pantheon Podcast listeners. Christian Swain here to tell you more about my experience with Raycon earbuds. Our family now has three pairs of Raycon earbuds around the house. And my wife just grabbed a pair of the headphone pros to replace some headphones from a company that was double the price. And yes, she loves them. Now, if you haven't pulled the trigger on a pair of Raycons, or even if you have, but you're in the market for another pair because they're just that good, well, now is the time to check them out because they just launched their upgraded model of the best-selling everyday earbuds. 
with Raycon's upgraded everyday earbuds, now you also get active noise cancellation, ergonomic design, and multi-point connectivity that lets you pair with two devices at once. New quick charge function, three customizable sound styles plus awareness mode. Available in a variety of vibrant new colors to complement any and all skin tones. I even have a pair of earbuds in a cool green color. I have tried just about every earbud known to humankind and these Raycons are fantastic. Seriously, if you've been wanting to check out Raycons, there truly is no better time. You're going to ask yourself why you didn't check them out sooner, and Raycon offers a 30-day happiness guarantee. So, what are you waiting for? Go to buyraycon.com slash pantheon today to get 20% off your Raycon order, plus free shipping. That's right, you'll get 20% off and free shipping at buyraycon.com slash pantheon. Buyraycon.com slash pantheon. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. And once again, you think New Orleans is known as a city of gumbo, right? All these different mm-hmm. flavors putting together. But Miami definitely has that reputation of all these different cultures, of all this different, both the people who are retired from the East Coast coming down there, the Cuban-Americans, all this different thing. So I could see that that's in your DNA. The idea of I need to be explore different things. You grew up, you said in Miami, then you moved to Seattle. the West Coast. Yeah, Seattle. Had nature always been important to you? Had this is because my I am not a nature person, right? I just am not. But my wife is just incredibly important to her. Like at least every two, three months. She needs to go camping or going on a nature walk. She needs that nature speaking to her. And I'm the guy when we go out, I bring my Kindle and I sit not looking at the beautiful view, but on the back, oh, the light's better here to read my book. We've made it work, but it is growing up in an urban environment. But when did you discover if nature called to you? Yeah, it, it actually did and it didn't. In other words, it wasn't a conscious thing. Like I was never a camper. Um, yeah. As a matter of fact, one of the places that I lived in Dominher was a treehouse village. And when my mother came to visit me, she just looked at me and she's like, we're from the city. What are you doing here? <laughs> and I looked at her and I'm like, mom, we're from an island. She's yes, but I'm from the city in an island. Yes. <laughs> I was like, okay, whatever. <laughs> so, so I didn't really realize it until... I, until I was walking in, I was walking in a part of Dom and Hearn where I live and I heard this music. So it was the music and I heard this music and I followed the music to see where this music was coming from. Cause it was very unusual music. And I discovered a device like a speaker connected to a device that was connected to a plant. And I was like, what the heck is this? <laughs> what is this? And I just stood there staring at the plant. And as I was listening to this music, it was as if the plant was 
speaking with me. I often use a, a quote that was given to me. It's not mine, unfortunately. It was from a musicologist that I've worked with in the past who said, we often think that language is a form of, that we always think that music is a language, but in reality, language is a music, is a musicality because it's music that came first. And it was never more clear than in that moment, as I sat there listening to this plant and felt like the plant was speaking with me, like everything that I had ever experienced of being able to express myself through music or feel my emotions through music or feel the emotions of the writer, author, composer through music was never more clear than listening to this plant and being able to hear the plant express themselves. And it was in that moment that everything, I often say like my plant blindness started to crack and I could enter into this plant reawakening. And over the years, I've asked myself like, what, where were the plants when I was growing up? And I realized that there was this weird kind of balance in the sense of no, I was not a nature person. I didn't camp. I didn't do any of those types of things. And even when I did start going camping, it was more for festivals, not necessarily for the idea of nature. But I have always been a very contemplative person. And when I contemplate, I sit, I have to stare out the window. In other words, in all the places that I've ever lived, one of the things that was always there and was the idea of having to stare out the window and see something natural, usually some kind of tree or plant of any other sort. And that has been how I think, like I can clear my thoughts in that way. And so I realized that I didn't learn how to do things like have house plants because my mother didn't really have house plants, but we had a small little atrium and that was my contemplation. I would sit there and just stare at this. Or I, when I think back and I start to remember places that I grew up, I realize the different plants that I associate to those places, the specific kind of palm, areca palm that was in my backyard, the, the sea turtle trees or like sea marble trees, excuse me, that were around my, my, the beach or the mangroves or the mosses and the grasses and grass in particular, who is one of my big partners and friends and one of my mentors, like how much of that was in the middle of it. And I, I didn't, I just didn't know. I didn't really, I didn't have any vocabulary for it, but they were always around. So that's the other reason why the work that I do today is not so much as people often ask me, they're like, oh, do you take people into nature? And do you do forest therapy type stuff? And I love forest therapy. I love forest bathing and all that type of stuff, but it's not what I do. What I do is more work with plants to help you unlock new parts of yourself by entering into relationships with plants and as persons, as people that you want to have a conversation with and that help you see life in a different aspect, in a different way, and therefore allow you to see yourself in a whole different way. So you talk about you're on that walk, you hear the music from the plant, and that sounds like your road to Damascus moment, right? you know, you're Saul and become Paul. What? I'm sure it wasn't that easy of something like you flip a switch, but talk to me about how that moment adjusted what you were doing and tell, walk me through that journey of being in a very tech world, being, even though it's a creative side to moving into where you end up doing your research and being a coach. Talk to me a little bit about that. 
Yeah, sure. So by the time I came to Domenher, when I left the U.S., I left on a tour with Cirque du Soleil. My partner at the time was, he wanted a job with Cirque. I used to own co-own a circus, so that's how I met him. And oh, he decided right, he that's, wanted that's, to- Okay, you can't just throw <laughs> that in there. How did you, what, how did you okay, own a circus so- that was- Okay. <laughs> so when I left the corporate world, I left the corporate world, like I said, to produce events. So I became a an event producer specifically around large dance parties, like the idea of sure. those all night parties. And I wasn't a big, I'm not a, I'm not a person who takes, well now, especially with the Dom and Her philosophy, but I don't, I was never a person who took a lot of drugs. I don't really drink that much. I'm, although I live in Italy, so a good glass of wine is always a necessity. Sure. Yeah. Uh, or for me personally, a good bourbon or a good scotch, because I'm, that's more my style but anyway um, so now then so. make a note i've got a and i'm sorry i'm giving you whiplash am i listening <laughs> have you ever done the kentucky bourbon trail in kentucky i haven't done the i've done i've been to kentucky and i've gone to a whole number of distilleries because i have friends of mine yeah. that live there and but i haven't done the actual trail it's like to follow through and do but yeah. i do have you, you can't like for you people who can't listen yeah. who can't see it but i do have a very uh, small yet growing bourbon collection because here in in europe finding bourbon is pretty much impossible or it costs an arm and a leg so what i do is when i go back to the us and i go especially around i have friends in nashville and friends in kentucky yeah. so in different aspects of kentucky right outside of um, shelby louisville and shelbyville yeah and so i go and i'm like okay stuff. must buy one good bottle so i have a growing I have my list. And then I try to go every once in a while to Scotland to buy, to get yeah. really nice scotches. So we have that aspect. So anyways, What's so when your, I left the- Wait, I wanted one more question. What, do you have a favorite bourbon? I do. My favorite bourbon is, so there's a few. I have a, oh, what's it called? I have to remember it. A Jefferson Reserve is my, I like you. I'm just gonna, yeah. I want something easy. But there's, my favorite is, oh, what's it called? Deering, Deering is okay, yes. become one of my favorites. And especially okay. they have a sherry cask bourbon that is to me, uh, I love it. It's, oh, this is what I need tonight. I'm just going to sit down with this. And I love bourbon similar to the same conversation with plants, believe it or not. It is the reason I like both bourbons and scotches as opposed to other kinds of alcohol. And here in Italy, you also have that culture with the wine, depending on the wine that you right. drink, very different from some other places. But it's because it's the slowing down. It's a slow down. It's a sit there and contemplate and be there. And as a matter of fact, from a when you go into the research and you go to look at troglodytes, so cavemen culture was actually in a lot of ways way more advanced than we did than we are right now because they would maybe go on a hunt and or go on a large gathering and then they would spend the next month in contemplation, just hanging out relaxing, enjoying, and thinking about the way that it is. So that's, that's my way of, of being with it all. <laughs> yeah, I, we went in 2012 to the bourbon tour the first time. I tell the story, it, it ended up being like a 10-day trip that my wife and I took together. We had not taken a vacation together without the kids, without another couple in years. And so we decided we wanted a solo vacation. We drove up, did the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, ended up going to Cleveland, seeing a Bruce Springsteen show, did the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame, came back, finished the Kentucky Bourbon Trail, and then went home. And as a couple of people said, that sounds like a perfect vacation. Exactly. And, and the reason we are, I am not a big drinker at all, but I love the art, the art mm -hmm. and science of bourbon. 
right? As someone who I can, I, I would have, I wouldn't have guessed, but now that I know, because you have that math, loving math and loving music, bourbon is that you, it has to be 51% corn, but the rest of it up to you. You exactly. have to, you know, the different proofs and the different things. And so it, there is a art to making bourbon and scotch that is different than making vodka or making gin or making tequila. And it's not too long. That's the other right. thing. Like a scotch, you have to wait 10 years, 12, yeah. 15, yeah. maybe a 21-year-old. Oh, my God. Yeah. In a bourbon, you have two years. So you have to like, yeah. you can see the fruits of your experimentation yes. after about two years. And that's that's fantastic. <laughs> that's good. All right. That was, excuse us, listeners. I had to go off on a little <laughs> bourbon thing. All right. You're living outside the US. You're now in, I got us off on a tangent, but let's talk no, about- No, wait, I'll take you back to the tangent because the, the tangent was the circus tangent. So right. when yes. I, like I said, I when I left corporate and I started producing events, my whole thing about events, because of the fact that I don't drink that much and I don't yeah. do drugs at all, just by pure choice, not that I, whatever, yeah. no, no judgment, just don't do it myself. Yeah. The thing that I love more than anything, and one of the work, one of the kind of core values and something that's always followed me is my work always creates safety, a safety for experimentation. And so when I was producing events, this was extremely important to me. How do I create an experience where you can come in and allow your inhibitions to go to the wayside without having to be inhibited, like without like being able to allow yourself to be and explore without having to in ingest other substances or do something of it. So I created a lot of my events with my team and the, my partner and such were events where you could come and have an immersive type of experience where you had music, where you had art. I used to create these art parties and such. And so one of the ways that I did this was through performance. Like I had either visual art of different sorts and sculpture and paintings. And I am very big. I collect art. I love art and, and then performance. And so I hired a circus one time to do a very extravagant performance art and became very good friends with one of the ringmasters who at some point was like, hey, do you want to join us because we could use your expertise and stuff like that. So I had this, I was part owner of, of a multi-ring circus and then met this person, ended up getting together. And then he was like, I really want to work for Cirque du Soleil. And we're like, I was also a spiritual teacher by this point. So I was producing events. I was teaching spiritual studies like Kabbalah and sacred geometry and I was like, all right, we're going to go, we're going to make this happen. Did a little bit of voodoo, like my magic and made it happen. And so we got a job and it was in Europe. So that's how we ended up in Europe. And then when he and I kind of separated, I went off on my way and he went off on his way and I decided I was going to stay in Europe. That was my, I just fell in love with Europe and I was, I spent several years living in Spain. And then I came to Domenher to live here. So when I came to Italy and I started to live in Domenher and I had this plant of this plant reawakening, I couldn't unsee it. It became all parts of me now. So Domenher has this device called the music of the plants, which is the device I was talking about. So the device, the music of the plants allows you to hear. So it's basically a musical instrument for plants. It allows plants through using their electrical response. So plants have many different ways that they communicate. They communicate through chemical signals. They communicate through hormonal signals. They communicate through electrical signals. They have a whole series of different 
ways that they can communicate either within the, within themselves, because plants are decentralized systems, if you want to think about it in that way, and also the ability for them to, so kin can actually work, communicate with their entire environment. Because remember, being sessile, so I'm stuck, I'm rooted, means that I can move a lot because plants actually move a lot, but they can move a lot within the environment in which they're in, but they can't just get up and run away, which is one of the most amazing parts of them because they have to deal with all of the shit that happens in their lives. This music of the plants device was something that my community started to work on in the late 1970s. And by the time I rolled around, it was like, it was advanced enough that we were thinking, why don't we actually finally start to sell this to the outside world? People are interested. They want to have this. People would come to Dom and her and be just blown away by the idea of being able to listen to their plants. Now you have to think that this device originally, and this is one of the things that makes the device at Dom and her stand out from some of the other devices. The original device was created with the idea of being able to listen into plants. Like the idea that Plants must have a whole world of stuff going into them. Why don't we listen in to what's happening? And the device trans basically uh, transforms the electrical signals into notes of music and then allows to happen, allows the plants to be able to manipulate these notes of music. What ended up happening, though, was that over time, we started noticing that the plants were changing their music. The more that humans would listen in or of course you know how musicians are right if there's something playing you're going to play along like you just can't help yourself exactly yes (laughs) so as people would want to play along to the music they would realize that the plant was adjusting the music to play along better to become a better play partner like a musician and this was fascinating at the time it took a long time it took a few weeks for the plant to really understand and get things today it's way faster there's been a kind of of quickening that's been happening around these topics. But the point being is that we started to see plants that would change the scales that they were in, that they would modify the notes, that they would harmonize better with the humans that were playing. So Dominar has always created the devices, the algorithm of the devices to give the plants maximum ability to communicate with once we started to realize that the plants were actually listening in to what we were playing around them and were then modifying their music, we kept working on the algorithm to make it as easy as possible for the plants to really play along with humans. So the device has always been created with that intention. And so I got lucky enough that I was already working in the PR team at Dominheard that we, by the time I started to study into this, because I kept saying, I don't understand anything about plants. I know nothing about plant physiology or plant biology or how any of this works, but I'm an electrical engineer and I'm a music engineer. So I can understand the music part of what's happening here. And I just dove into it. I I started to study all of the information that was coming out at the time about plant intelligence, the discussions around the arguments around plant neurobiology versus plant signaling, because how can it be called neurobiology when plants don't have neurons and they don't have brains? And there was all kinds of controversy around that and eventually went and helped showcase or helped Mm -hmm. you can say or launch that's the word I was looking for help launch the music of the plants device as something that was sold worldwide and then eventually just said you know what this is my path this is what I want to be doing and I actually went to the University of Florence and I got a degree my master's is in what's called vegetal future so plant socialization and design 
And I'm also what's called a biomimicry facilitator, which is where we look at nature-inspired design, where we look to nature as mentors and models to help us design products and services and social innovations. And I just basically like just head on everything plant because what I find and one of the big inhibitors that we as human beings have is that we are socially conditioned beings. We, we are told what is right or wrong. We are told how we're supposed to act. And we take this as like a standard where plants have to adapt to the environment in which they're in. So you have a plant, it could be the exact same plant. And we've all seen this, right? I have in my house right now, uh, three different spider plants and they're growing in different parts of the house, which means they grow different one in one direction, one a little bit more flowers or one a lot more leaves, some more curly, one straight, even though they're the exact, they all come from the exact mother plant. And so wow. plants have to adapt to the environment in which they're in. Where's the sun coming from? Who are their nutrients? Where are the relationships? And they have a whole different set of definitions about the relationships that we don't have. We have very standard kind of things. And if you don't fit in there, then, oh, I go in craziness and I, this doesn't work. So that helped me understand that I could, working with very closely with plants, I could help humans get out of that conditioning, what we at Tom and Her call our rivers, and start to make conscious choices on the life that I want to live rather than being swept into a channel. Yeah, they're, they sort of help me better see the way that life could be if we consciously chose the paths that we were taking and if we were more aware of our surroundings because that's the other thing plants being sessile they're super aware of everything that's happening around them so it's just a whole different it really make and the other let me say it this way the ease the thing that's most important is that we as human beings we forget we are nature we yes. are animals and we also have a part of ourselves that is kind of plant-like we it's just a part of the fact that we come from the same tree of life and so when I can tap into that, I can get out of the human logic that honestly has created a lot of beautiful things, but it's also created a bunch of crap in the world, to be honest. Right. So instead of me fighting my nature, instead of me trying to change who I am and blah, 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 which I don't believe in at all, it's more of how do I tap into who I naturally really am and then let that come out in a way that is both where I'm both independent because I am my own person, as well as interdependent, because I live inside of an ecosystem anyway. And who better to do that than plants? This is amazing. I'm going to include the link to your website when I publish the episode, and I'll also let you promote it in a minute. But how did this develop into coaching and to speaking? How did you decide to go out to the world and it's I can tell it's your nature to be very outgoing anyway. You and I would get along great. You and I are the ones in the elevator that go, Hey, how exactly. are you doing? Are you having a good trip? What brings you to New Orleans? Oh, okay. Exactly. But yeah. So how did you decide to become this spokesperson and work with people? 
Yeah, when I came out, when I finished my master's, like I said, I spent the first few years when I was studying all of the plant intelligence and really understanding the whole plant world, working specifically with the music of the plants device. And one of the things that had come up over and over again from years, like I started gathering up people that had been using the device in different ways for years was this healing aspect. And I ended up putting together a group of people of researchers and medical professionals to create a study into the effects of plant music on human health, because we were starting to discover that people who spent a lot of time connecting into plants through the music or with the music were actually having marked health benefits to a series of different kinds of diseases. So I kind of started to see, oh, wait a minute, there's more to this than just I feel good and I'm listening to this really cool music. And then there was the whole communication aspect of it. And so when I finished my master's, which a lot of the people that were doing the master's with me were architects and people working in urban planning. And I was working on that. And I also worked on some European Union projects. I was a communications manager for a nonprofit that was specifically around biomimicry and nature inspired innovation. And so I was like, I was doing a lot of communications stuff because I felt like it was really important for us to have this other aspect, this other viewpoint, this other way of looking at the world that is really natural. Again, it's not a, you have to change, but it's more of, okay, take off these layers of varnish that have been placed by your family dynamics and your social culture and your education and stuff. And what's actually below all of that? Who are you? And how do you naturally let that kind of develop outside of yourself? So I was doing all these nature inspired innovation things And I naturally started to go towards social innovations because that's really the part that has always been most interesting to me. Even when I used to produce events, again, like I said, my specific passion around creating the events, besides the fact that they were as an event in and of themselves, mind-blowing, was that safe space for people to be able to allow themselves to evolve, transform, to be, because we don't spend enough time being. And so when I was trying to think after my master's of how I wanted to apply some of this work, the coaching world just fell in my lap. Like it was like all of a sudden I had already before when I was still teaching spiritual studies had been, how do I say this? I had one of my kind of services was a ask me anything in the sense of let's brainstorm your own specific situation. And I used to create like custom rituals and custom plans for people in that aspect. So coaching was a natural extension. And I actually went back to my alma mater, not my master's alma mater, but my bachelor's alma mater and decided to actually get a coaching certificate. So I have a, a professional coaching certification and I am what's called from the International Coaching Federation. I have the PC, the professional coaching certification, because for me, it's if I'm going to do something, I'm going to do it right. Like I'm going to make sure yeah. that I actually can help this. And so getting, having that biomimicry side, so I'm observing nature because biomimicry is really about observing the functions of nature and understanding how nature operates and then applying those to design and social innovations. So I had that part. And then I had the coaching, which is really deep listening. So what is it that the people are experiencing? And then from the, I had the artistic, which is the fact that oftentimes even people who spend a lot of time in nature, one of the unfortunately fatal flaws that we end up doing is we try to put it into human terms right away. But that's not the point. The point is we're trying to get out of our little bit of our human animal box. And so the arts is an excellent way to do that because 
whether you're creating music or you're dancing or you're creating a work of art, or I don't have to be logical in there. I can be a different kind of logic and I can allow all of that expression to come out. And later with time, I can apply that expression or I can start to define it into the world that I live, but making modifications to the world. So the arts really gives us, and this is the reason why right now there's a whole surgence of plant humanities that's coming out. The arts really allows us to touch into our plantness or our, our true natureness without having to put it into the box that culture expects. So I had the art side and then I also had the spiritual side because I live again in one of the largest spiritual eco communities in the world. And I am a former Kabbalah teacher and all these different aspects. So having that wide like communication, artistic gave me the ability to create this self-space, which sacred, sacred is not the word, safe space is the word I'm looking for. So that's why I actually founded a place called the Naturally, the Naturally Conscious Community. It's my online community. And the thing about the online community, the reason I wanted to take us out of Facebook and take us out of the social media in general is because at first you're people are going to think you're crazy. Like we say we're woo and we're weird and we're proud of it because we are. Because when you're starting to explore a new topic, you have to break with the norm. And so you have to feel comfortable enough to get that out of your mouth or out of your hands or whatever and show a scribble and say, this was my experience with a plant and have somebody else go, that's awesome. And what not have to define it with the dictionary and the words and whatever language that you're using in, that is just going to confine us to what we are. So the coaching really comes from that perspective, coaching and mentorship and helping people see what does it really mean to be an ecosystem? And the fact that in an ecosystem, no plant ever loses their identity. It's not, they're not these individual species and they don't have their individualness. They are all individuals perfectly attuned to the system that know how to use competition, that know how to use also mutualisms like mutually beneficial. They also know how to not care like commensalisms. They also know how to create predation or parasitism and they can play around with all of these as is necessary because there are times where I'm going to be a predator. There are times when I'm going to be a parasite. There are times when I'm going to do something to somebody that's going to piss them off. And there's going to be times when I do something and the other person doesn't care or somebody's going to do something right. and I don't care. So all of these things need to exist. And rather than me being told, no, that's wrong. I want to be like, how do I actually feel about it? What is it that I feel in this world? No, that makes a lot of sense. That makes a lot of sense. So Talk to me a little bit about if someone wants more information, how can they find it? So the finding is really easy. So my name is unusual. So that makes it easy, whether you remember my website, which is just my name, Tigria Gardenia, which I'm sure you'll put in the show notes so people can see the yeah. spelling. And then also the naturally conscious community is, like I said, my online community, which you can reach either from my website or by community.tigriagardenia.com. And there we have a lot of different programs because the point is that we wanted this space for everything that I just mentioned. So we have a writing group and an art group where people can explore with the help of plants their artistic nature and bringing this out. I do live commentary on some of the scientific papers because a lot of people are very curious about what does it mean when, a, when I say plant intelligence and that plants are actually sentient, conscious, intelligent beings. We have a book club. So this is an opportunity for you to really understand 
what is happening out there in the world? What are all the different expressions? And we have just lots of different things, courses and also experiences and gatherings and things like that. I do one-on-one coaching as well as, but all of my coaching, even when I do one-on-one coaching always has the community aspect because I live in community and community is really the fastest way we evolve. Like even species in general evolve faster when they have a mutualism, when they're in their own kind of community environment. And this is why I feel like it's extremely important for people to be able to not just work directly with me, but to also have the mirrors of all of these other people. And and so all of my coaching programs also have what's called Flourishing Sprouts, which is like one of my programs where you have a group of people you're also working with. What's next for you? What's your next goal? Oh, that's a good question. My my next goal really is about, it's really all about the naturally conscious community and that work and growing it in that aspect. So my goal is I, if I, and I've always felt this, this has been a theme, like what I call a deep pattern throughout my entire life. When people, when I first started, when I first came to Dumb and Her, I was responsible for the social media strategy for Dumb and Her. And I used to have to do these meetings with some of the different Dumb and Hurrian groups. And they used to ask me, like, why should we care about social media? Like, we see each other all the time. And I said, because the social media isn't for you. It's about giving people hope. It's about helping people understand that there are other ways to live, that there are other ways to be, and to give them a window into new aspects. And so right now, I think the next step for me is I've spent the last few years creating a foundation of around this. And, and now it's really about making that much more visible to the world so that people, whether they come to me or they come to somebody else, honestly, I don't care. I just want people to understand that there are other ways to live in order for you to feel your own natural self, right? For you to feel your true nature and for you to live in that way. And I want to give people hope. I want them to know that there are ways for them to express themselves that are safe and that you can explore and that you can become because with everything that's happening in the world, it's really easy to lose hope. And it's really easy for you to feel like I'm not important or my voice doesn't count. And your voice does count. Your quality of your life counts because you're going to touch so many people. You're going to touch the people around you. You're going to touch the people you work with. You're going to teach, touch all of these aspects. So that's why I want you to evolve into the person you were always meant to be. I love that. That is so well said. All right. I got to let you go. But before (laughs) we're going to do the Mary question, I end every podcast. If you are part of Tagria's community and you're listening to this podcast, she made you very proud. I could feel like I could spend another couple hours just visiting with you because we didn't even get into your favorite musicians and things like this. So we'll have to do another one. But um, Jay Armstrong. Here's the funny part. My favorite music. Yeah. Wait, I'm going to tell you my funny part. My favorite musician yeah. is Iron Maiden. It's my favorite band. Like, I'm a metalhead. You said that at the very beginning. Sorry. That's all right. No, that's perfect. <laughs> Jay Armstrong is was a he is a retired English teacher, and when he was teaching English, he would take the song "Thunder Road" from Bruce Springsteen, would give his class the lyrics. They would break apart the song talk about the different themes Bruce uses, talk about the imagery of the poem, and then would ask the class at the end, does Mary get in the car? That is your question. Does Mary get in the car at the end of Thunder Road? She does. 
She does. Do you want to, any reason why? Be because it's always a new experience. And so by getting in the car, she has a new experience and she believes enough in herself to be able to deal with whatever may happen by getting in the car. I love that. That's a great ending. Thank you to Gria for joining me. I hope you had a good time. I did. Good. Most definitely. Good. And if someone wants to reach you, the best way is the website. The best way is the website, but I'm also on Facebook and Instagram and on YouTube. And it's all again, just my name. So that makes it really easy. Very nice. All right, listeners, thank you for listening. Please remember to be safe and be kind. And remember, if we open up our hearts, love won't forsake us. Just let the music take us and carry us home. Thank you, Tagria. Thank you, listeners. We'll talk to you soon. Goodbye. There we go. Another episode. I'm about to go through a couple of things where you can reach me and give me feedback. Um, so if you want to skip this, I understand. But I do hope you check it out every once in a while. I'm available on Twitter at Jesse Jackson DFW. The show is available at SetLustingBruce. You can send me an email, setlustingbruce at gmail.com. You can send me a voicemail at 469-249-2442. I am currently doing a few other podcasts, Perfectly Good Podcast, John Hyatt from A to Z, where Sylvan Groth and I discuss every John Hyatt song in alphabetical order. My Babylon 5 podcast is Last Best Hope for Conversation, where Lou, Karen, and I discuss every episode of Babylon 5 in chronological order. I still am doing Next Stop Everywhere, the Doctor Who podcast with my brother in time, Charles Gags. And then finally, How Many Podcasts, the only podcast on the internet that counts, where my buddies and I discuss pop culture. You can go to our Patreon page and support the podcast for as little as a dollar a month. You can go to our Facebook page, like, and please, please go to iTunes or wherever you get your podcast and leave a five-star rating and review for all of the podcasts that I'm doing. It's okay if you don't listen to them, but if you subscribe and rate, it really will make my day better. Thank you, and I will talk to you soon. You just heard the fun talking, hard rocking, music loving, album ranking, fan thinking, joy spreading, lyric reading, story sharing podcast that is the one, the only, said Listening Bruce. The theme for Set Listening Bruce was written by David Rosen, used by permission. It's NFL draft season, and that means it's time to start thinking about fantasy football. FantasyPoints.com features industry-leading experts and prognosticators using proprietary hand-charted data to help you score more fantasy points. FantasyPoints.com is the place to go for whatever kind of fantasy football you play. Whether you play fantasy football, daily fantasy sports, or do a little bit of everything, Fantasy Points has the meticulously researched content to guide you to victory. And why wait for the fall? Fantasy Points also covers the new spring football league, the UFL. Join the guru, John Hansen, Scott Barrett.
Joe Dolan, and other massive names in the fantasy football universe with an exclusive offer. Use code Pantheon for 15% off any fantasy points package, including the all-in package, with access to every article, tool, and data nugget that Fantasy Points has to offer. That's FantasyPoints.com and code Pantheon for 15% off at Fantasy Points. FantasyPoints.com, code Pantheon. Score more Fantasy Points. Fantasy Points.